welcome to the discussion for me with your hosts, Brandy and Christian. If you're looking for a podcast where sisterhood is embodied, you are home. Listen, each week we will open the floor and have raw conversations about relevant and unaddressed topics plaguing our communities. You ready, B? Yes, let's get it. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. All right, you guys. (laughs) Welcome back to our health series. This series is blessing me and I'm learning so much. So I hope you're taking notes because I am. And hopefully you're sharing it with your tribe. Today, we have Dr. Rashida Pickett of Physical Therapy, and she got a whole lot of letters after her name, but we'll explain what they all mean later. (laughs) She was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, where her journey into medicine started in high school, where she attended King Drew Medical Magnet High School with Christian and I. She completed her undergrad studies in Atlanta, Georgia at Emory University, and her graduate physical therapy studies at Mount St. Mary's University in Los Angeles, where she obtained her doctorate of physical therapy. Okay, put some respect on her name. The last 11 years, she has worked as a pediatric physical therapist in the Department of Rehab Services at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Since working at CHLA, she's achieved two specialty certifications. She specializes and is certified in treating patients with brain injuries and also treating patients with lymphedema and lymphatic disorders. In spring of 2022, she became part-time faculty at Mount St. Mary's where she co-teaches the class Fundamental of Pediatrics to graduate level DPT students. In her spare time, she enjoys painting, cheering on the magnificent Los Angeles Dodgers, (laughs) playing golf, and advocating diversity and equity efforts for current and future generations of physical therapists. Welcome, 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 girl. What it do, boo? (laughs) Appreciate you uh, wanting to hear what I have to talk about. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to sit before our audience and have this discussion with Christian and I. So let's dive right on in. All right. We mentioned earlier that you discovered medicine in high school. Why did you choose PT over as a career over, say, nursing and um, becoming like a medical doctor? Why did you- Actually, I, I went to King Drew because I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, I was one of those kids that knew from an early age that I wanted to work with kids. And um, it's probably a little taboo to say this now, but it actually started from watching the Cosby show. Um, And I know, you know, he has his own reputation, but that show was fundamental in my life. There were so many things that I learned. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer because I love to argue, but ultimately I settled into wanting to be a pediatrician. So I went to a medical magnet high school. And for part of our curriculum, as you guys know, we went over to the hospital to shadow in different work areas. And so I finally had the opportunity to work in pediatrics. And 
I hated it. <laughs> the, the doctors there, they spent maybe five minutes with the patients. Um, there was like a kid, I think that ended up dying. And I was just, you know, it just was not for me. And I was like, what, what? I didn't try to know what to do. So I talked to our coordinator at the time and there was an opening in um, hydrotherapy. At that time, a lot of the, the physical therapists were working with wound care in the whirlpool tank. And so um, I went there and I met a young man that um, got shot in the leg and he got shot with a shotgun pellet. So it was pretty big and it blew off a huge chunk of his calf muscle. And uh, we did wound care therapy to work on the wounds. And then afterwards we would um, take him over to the gym and work on the treadmill and, and try to regain some function in his leg to help him walk again. And having that time, it was probably about two hours cumulative that I spent with him. And it was an amazing time. I got to know him. I, I felt like I was really making an impact, even though I was a student. And that's what I wanted. That was the interaction that I that I missed having in that in that other pediatric setting that that I really enjoyed with physical therapy. So I started looking into it and I said, hmm, what is this all about? And at that time, they were just sort of branching into the doctorate program. Prior to, you had to have a master's degree. Um, and so it was the efforts of the Physical Therapy Association to change it so that all students um, had the opportunity to um, get a doctorate degree if, if they wanted to. And so, you know, for me, I, I told my family, I'm going to be a doctor. And so, you know, this was a way to still do it, but to honor, you know, what was true to me in the sense of um, that one-on-one -on -one direct patient care that I really wanted. And, you know, the rest is history. I, I, I um, started volunteering at different places and um, getting that work experience. And then ultimately, um, you know, I just kept going in my career to do the necessary steps uh, to be able to apply to the school once I graduated. Do you remember that project we did? Because uh, we have very similar uh, stories because I wanted to be a pediatrician as well. And it was the time. Like, it was like, these doctors, these nurses, they run it in and out. I can't do that. I need to spend time with my patients. <laughs> but remember, like, I think it was our senior year, we had to write a paper on, like, our career choice and what we wanted to do and like the research and we had to go and dive in like what schooling was needed and all of that and I had picked physical therapy and I was like this is for me like this is it <laughs> and I just remember writing that paper and it like it solidified what you know like the experience that I was having it was like okay this is this is it do you remember doing that project or no am I I don't remember doing it but I mean yeah it's it sounds like um we had the same journey. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was the same. That's why I was listening. I was like, I didn't know that that was your start of wanting to be a pediatrician. See, we learn things new. I know. We, we learn a lot from each other. And what's so funny is I do remember that paper. And that's why I did not go into the medical field. <laughs> he, okay, so I knew I wasn't tripping. I knew we did some type of project where we had to write. <laughs> because like, to my little hospital occupation journey was, I didn't like it, honey. <laughs> I dreaded hospital rotation, except for going to the food truck. That's the only thing that I enjoyed about hospital rotation. Really? And, <laughs> yes. I, and it could have been maybe the departments, you know, that I was assigned to. Maybe that's why it wasn't appealing to me and it kind of turned me off on it. But it just so happens that I believe it was senior year, we had someone come in from a law firm down in downtown LA. Yes. And it was uh, myself and then another one of uh, 
of the student. I can't remember her name, but it was it was another person we went to school with. But she, both uh, both her and I, we ended up doing an internship at a law firm uh, senior year, and that's why I changed my my whole major. But it's just funny to hear how we have all different journeys and experiences, but went to the same school and was exposed to the same programs. <laughs> I know, but I, I love the fact that like we can say that Kendrew actually allowed us to figure out what we wanted to do, even mm-hmm. you know, like even with the law firm experience. So I love that. Mm-hmm. And so I guess with that, uh, Dr. Pickett, put some respect on your name. What do you believe um, are some of the barriers, at least in our community, of getting them in the field of PT? It's funny, I did a little research going into this question because I wanted to um, get the statistics correct. Um, And so I found that nationwide, there's fewer than 5% of practicing physical therapists that are Black or or consider themselves of Black or African-American descent. Um, And that's even less in California. In California, it's 3%. Um, And what they've shown, I won't get into all the numbers, but they've shown that minority applicants actually have slowly been dropping in the last 10 years, whereas our our white counterparts, like the numbers are still going up. And so it made me wonder, where is the disconnect? Like what's happening? Um, There's a little bit of of a difference between East Coast and West Coast. Um, On the East Coast and in the South, there is a little bit higher of a population of, you know, Black and African-American physical therapists. But I don't know what happens as you travel West. Is it, you know, um, sort of mirroring what the, you know, population looks like in California versus, let's say, Atlanta, where I went to school? Um, Or is it you know, something, something else. Um, I think that it's a combination. I think that something happens along the journey from high school into preparing for graduate school that maybe stops a person or, or makes them choose a, a easier route to go. Um, and I also think it's, it's representation. Um, when I have a patient oftentimes where, you know, I go into the room and we look the same and we come from the same background. There is a connection that happens there that is, is, is a, is a, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's something that's there. Um, And I feel like those interactions we need more of. And the only way to get more of that is to you know, have more therapists that graduate. So it's kind of a a tricky thing. How do we get something that we don't have, but yet how do we, you know, uh, recruit so that, you know, we can start to see that. So it's definitely something that um, I know is on the forefront of a lot of therapists' minds now. Um, In, you know, 2020 with um, everything that happened with George Floyd, I think that really did give us the opportunity to start looking into this and asking those questions. And I've actually attended a couple of conferences um, virtually, obviously, but just to kind of hear what's out there and and what other people are doing, what other institutions are doing to sort of help bridge that gap so that, you know, we do see more people that look like us and and talk like us and act like us um, in the the medical profession, whether it's physical therapy or nursing, or um, we have so many different disciplines at the hospital. We have child life, we have music therapy, we have um, social work, you know, things of that nature. 
how do we increase that concentration of, um, you know, um, professionals that we can relate to? And maybe that's the key that, you know, we need to look at. So it's definitely um, multifaceted, but it's definitely something that I want to, you know, work with more to pick apart those pieces and figure out where I can interject myself to be of the most use. So that way we can start to change the narrative and start to um, change what our physical therapy schools look like, what that population looks like. Cause I think that's, you know, pretty important. Yeah, I would totally agree too, because I feel like what I'm noticing too, is that people like, no matter how much we try. And I know like the APTA is trying and different organizations are trying to get out there what we do. And I just feel like it's just not resonating with our community. Because when I explain it to people, like, this is what a physical therapist does. And this is like the options you have and the flexibility you have being a therapist. Like when a person becomes a doctor, like they have to go and into a specialty. And if they change that specialty, they have to change up and do, you know, more schooling and training. With us, we get to do and tap into whatever area we want. And then we can go and specialize in that area if we feel that, you know, desire to. So I feel like if people knew all that we have, like we don't just massage you, we don't just walk you. Like there's so much more and so many different opportunities for kids to come in and say, look, you can, you can make physical therapy look however you want it to look for you, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that part isn't like, that's where our kids are really about like flexibility and wanting to, you know, just be, you know, pioneers and do different things. And I think, and be business owners. So it's like, you can absolutely be a business owner as a physical therapy you have the option of doing that you know and so I think if we I think that's my personal thought if we advertised it that way to our kids because that's what's important to them then they would see physical therapy as a viable career yeah I I totally agree um and I think we we've talked about this but that's one of the reasons why with my child because I know that she is she really likes sports like if you tell her what, ask, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? She's going to say two things. She's going to say, I want to be an NBA player, not WNBA, but NBA, which is hilarious. She'll say she wants to be an NBA player or she'll say she wants to, uh, you know, play music. And I'm like, okay, so how can I translate that into a real day job? <laughs> how can I translate that? So that's why last year I put her into the sports medicine program because I was thinking, okay, if you have a child that has a particular area that they like, but you also want to encourage them to pursue, you know, further education, you have to figure out a way as a parent to translate that into something that's appealing to them, but also exposes them to different areas to say, hey, I know you like sports. I know you want to play ball. How about you go to sports medicine where you can help people that are injured while they're playing sports? So I think what you guys are saying is really, really important for parents to kind of think about. It's exposing your kids to things that are of interest to them, but also kind of expanding their horizon because if they haven't been exposed to it and they don't believe that it exists in their mind, their options are very narrow. So even if you don't have someone, let's say in your 
family or in your, you know, your sister circle that is in that profession, maybe putting them in different environments like, hey, like I did at the community college, just to show your children that there are, the world is big, you know, and your options are way more than just one or two things. And I think that would also kind of just change the perspective of, of children as they're entering into, you know, college and they're choosing their careers to say, hey, let me kind of look at a non-traditional way of, you know, pursuing higher education. It's funny because I wanted to um, um, go into the high schools and 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 start from an earlier age um, to because let me back up a little bit. So you know, this past year, obviously, I work at a major hospital. Um, the past year or two, um, our hospital has been awesome, and you know. Um, expanding the diversity and equity programs that we have at the hospital. Um, our managers actually have, have really surprisingly uh, taken on the role of how do we increase diversity amongst our applicants? And it goes back to, if you don't have those applicants in the schools, then you are still left with pulling, you know, picking from the same pool that you were 10, 15 years ago when I was a student, you know, and things haven't changed. So it made me think, okay, how do we get those students into the graduate schools? Let, let's go back to high school even, and maybe college, but I, I feel like even going back to where it started for us, you know, where we, when we were at that, that crucial point in our lives, where we were figuring out what we wanted to do, what colleges we wanted to go to, and seeing what can we do there. Um, and if I think about in high school, I had never, and most high school students had never had the opportunity to be exposed to a physical therapist. If you look at, you know, a typical child, they have their checkups, you know, from time to time. When they go into that doctor's office, they see a doctor, they see a nurse. Maybe they see the receptionist at the front desk, um, you know, maybe the valet guy that parks their car or things of that nature. Um, but on an everyday basis, you don't see the physical therapist or the respiratory therapist or the social worker or things, you know, that you see that I see on an everyday basis um, because the average person, you know, isn't exposed to that. They don't need that. They don't need, you know, unless you hurt yourself or something like that, you don't really have that opportunity to know what a therapist does. So I know there are a lot of, you know, high schools that um, I participated in a, a career day recently where we had different people from the hospital uh, come in to talk about what other things are there. There's laboratory techs, there's, you know, this or that. But unless you are exposed to that, you know, on a regular basis, that doesn't imprint in your brain the same way that a doctor or a nurse does, which is why I think, you know, when the pandemic happened and everyone was like, you know, we want to thank all our doctors and our nurses for working so hard for all the patients with COVID-19. And they forgot about all the people who were behind the scenes making that happen. And it's because I don't think they forgot. They don't even probably even know that they exist. So it's it's going back to figure out how do we highlight and shine on all those other allied health services that are out there. I think that's number one. Number two, I, I when I uh, when, you know was doing my research, I there was actually an article in the Physical Therapy Journal, and this was like 
prior to George Floyd, this article is from 2015. Um, but what it showed was that our white applicants actually achieved higher GPAs and higher GRE scores than the Hispanic and African-American populations. Um, it showed that minority applicants were significantly more likely uh, to apply to programs if there were minority faculty members there. Um, and then it also showed that Hispanic and African-American applicants were more likely to apply to programs within their state of residence so that they could be home and be close to their families, whereas the white counterparts were more willing to, um, to apply out of state into other areas. So though, to me, those were also key factors because when I go and I talk to these high school students, um, you know, I wanna say, okay, we need to start looking at our GPA. We need to start focusing on increasing standardized scores, you know, in these classrooms so that these students have as equal and as greater opportunity as their white counterparts to be successful if they apply to these schools. You know, and then also um, looking at, you know, what they were saying in terms of the faculty. That's one of the reasons why I was really excited to join the faculty at Mount St. Mary's, because even though right now there's only one or two African-American students in each class, if I can reach those one or two, maybe I can make a greater impact, you know, on their careers or, or and help, you know, to kind of figure out how to bridge this gap. So just kind of looking at, you know, what's out there and and what we need to do to, to reach back to our high school students so that that way we can start the foundation a little bit earlier so that they we set them up on the proper path so that they don't struggle in college and they don't struggle to get into grad school. And maybe that that's kind of the key factor, you know, that I can look at. Yes, uh, standardized test, that, that should start. We, we, <laughs> we gotta start way earlier than high school. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's a struggle just in the community in general, but we will save that discussion for another time. <laughs> <laughs> so as a Black woman, what gave you the audacity to just explore different options, uh, career options this far in your journey? Mm, that, that question actually, um, I, I'm really passionate about. Um, I... I will say, you know, if there, if this podcast does reach any younger, you know, audience, that um, I think that we all have the audacity to want to be better uh, and to want to be great. Um, my journey through high college, uh, high school is good, but my journey through college, um, oftentimes being the only the only black person, the only person of color, the only, you know, uh, woman sometimes depending on, you know, the situation. Um, same thing in, in, in graduate school. Um, that was a rough journey. It was times where I wanted to quit. It was times where I didn't have anyone to show me the ropes. Um, I had to figure it out for myself or, or you know, look to, through other means, you know, um, other family members, mentors, things of that nature. So anyway, I say all that because my journey through was rough. And so with that, um, I feel like I would be doing myself a disservice if I said, okay, I'm a physical therapist. Oh, great. Now I can breathe and I can just go out there and kind of do whatever. I, I think that I, in honoring my journey and honoring those who have helped me, the best way that I can do that and the best way that I don't, you know, make my journey to be in vain 
is by going out there, being the greatest that I can be and being the best therapist that I can be so that I can impact as many lives as possible. Um, I did not have this journey to go out and, and be a you know half butt physical therapist. You know, I wanna be awesome and I wanna be great. And the only way to do that is to not stop, to not stop once you get that diploma or that you know degree or that plaque on your wall. You have to keep going and learn um, what, what it you know what is necessary to do that um for me um the specialties that i have those were areas of physical therapy where it actually started off as a as just a way to um i guess you would say add more tools to my toolbox um for example with the patients that have brain injuries um oftentimes there are a lot of symptoms and ways that they act that i just didn't know what to do i didn't know how to handle those situations and so instead of shying away from it, I took that opportunity to say, okay, let me go take a class to learn more about what I can do with these patients that have brain injuries. And one class turned into another, turned into another, till ultimately um, I became certified because that was something that, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was the best version of myself that I can offer to my patients. Um, and I, the more tools I had in my toolbox, you know, to do that, obviously the better outcome I would have for my patients. Uh, the same thing with lymphedema. Lymphedema actually, if you would have, it's so funny, I was telling the, my students this the other day. I said, if you would have asked me sitting as a, a physical therapy student back in 2000, I don't know, six or seven, whenever I was in school, I would have laughed in your face if you would have said that Rashida would be a specialist in lymphedema. Um, because what we learned in school was it was, you know, women that had breast cancer and, you know, and that was not an area that I was going into, nor an area that I was interested in. Um, but I actually, I had a patient and that patient actually um, had lymphedema. It was not mentioned anywhere in the chart. And, um, they actually put in an order for me to show her how to use crutches. Um, her leg was swollen and it was inflamed and she had an infection um, and they had her on antibiotics, but it was time for her to go home and she couldn't really put pressure or weight on her leg. And so um, I went in there, I showed her how to use crutches, but that wasn't her problem. Her problem was the lymphedema, but I had no idea how to treat it. I had no idea how to fix it. And I knew that she, she wanted to amputate her own leg. She was asking for the doctors to cut it off because she said she was in too much pain. It was, you know, a chronic problem and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so even though I showed her how to use crutches, we did the stairs and everything, I felt like I failed her as a therapist uh, because I didn't treat what was her main source. And so that fueled in me the desire to go learn more about lymphedema. And again, one class led to another, led to another to where eventually I became certified. Now I'm the only one in the hospital that can provide these services to these patients. But, you know, that actually fuels me to keep going because I want it to be to where you don't have to just come to me. That now this is something that other people, you know, can, can work on and can see and can, you know, become a specialist themselves so that we can treat any patient um, regardless of, you know, what their diagnosis is with, with this condition. And so, for me, that is what gives me the audacity because I want it to be the best. And I think that anyone should, you know, if you work so hard towards something, you should want to be the best, you know, regardless of your background, where you came from, you know, your skin color, things of that nature, because, um, you know, that's, that's, I don't know how to explain it, but that's just, 
what I think should be done, you know, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but. <laughs> no, you, you did great. I mean, it's the excellence component. It's like, we don't want to take for granted. I think we all do in everybody's different respective fields. I think that is a drive that I see a lot of women, especially our age, in our careers, just thriving for excellence and whatever that looks like for you, like where your niche is, where you are called to be and to just show up as your best self. So you explained it well, we get it. I'm pretty sure Christian gets it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, because I think no one wakes up and says, I wanna do the bare minimum. you'd be surprised Christian (laughs) but you know what I I honestly believe more than not most people have the desire to be you know the best that they can but I think along the way you know life gets in the way sometimes even like internal obstacles depending on your field you know you could become discouraged along the way but if you have a personal conviction to say hey I'm going to take the initiative to even if it means on my own time to make sure that I'm getting the information and knowledge so that when I step into that room, I'm confident in my ability to, you know, perform my job. I think that that's a different component because I can't tell you how many times, even in my profession, I see people who start off, you're all excited, right? You know, you got your promotion, maybe you're fresh out of college and you believe like you're going to go change the world. And then somewhere along the way things start to happen and then your motivation and your your morale changes but I think the difference in what you kind of um shed light on is that it really has to do with your your personal um ethics and your motivation to say hey I want to be the best that I can be um and it takes effort you know it really does it takes effort in regard whatever field that you're in and so I think that is something to applaud because not everyone has that same conviction. Some people, you know, you start dealing with challenges and then they just say, well, that's just it. I'm going to come in here and do the bare minimum. And that's it. <laughs> it, it. It doesn't go anywhere after that. So I think it's something to applaud. Um, and I'm glad that you shared that because hopefully it'll motivate, you know, our listeners, those that may be dealing with different obstacles or maybe don't feel like they've been prepared for the, the career that they in to really take that extra step and to remember the why like why did you go into this field and what was your passions and your desires when you first started and then you know remain committed throughout the process so I think you deserve a tambourine clap for that in the back Um, just a little bit but I I have a question so as you're um you know dealing with patient care because you kind of mentioned that with the example that you gave how are you received do you experience racism like now that you shared kind of the statistics um, of minorities are underrepresented in your field. Do you deal with racism or pushback? Like, do you feel that when you're advocating with your patients, um, are you received? Like, how's that experience been for you? Had any, I would say outright racism directed towards me. Um, I think there have been instances of what's like now defined as, um, I guess, microaggression. Um, I participate in a lot of like hospital-wide committees and councils. I was president for a lot of different things. And I remember there was a 
a manager that, you know, I dealt with on a personal level, just um, when I was on that floor treating patients, we would talk and socialize and say hi and everything. And then she saw me one day in one of these meetings and I was leading the meeting. And after the meeting, she told me, she goes, Rashida, I didn't know you could speak so well and you, you know, speak so eloquently and, um, you know, um, just kind of one of those instances where I was like, this is kind of a low key, you know, um, jab to the fact that, you know, she doesn't think that I can carry myself well, just because, you know, I don't, is it because I'm black or, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I kind of questioned like, hmm, you know, this, this seems a little, it, it touched a little nerve, you know, for me. Um, and then I've had other instances where, in my opinion, I feel like um, there were opportunities or, or promotions or things that I was passed over for. Likely, probably I would have been considered differently if it had not been for the color of my skin. Um, and so I think it's, it's just some of those subtle things. Um, I am very much, you know, funny, jokester, loud, you know, that sort of thing. And, and sometimes that doesn't necessarily fit the nice, neat package that um, some of these institutions, you know, want to see or, or have been used to and, you know, counterparts that look of another race or, you know, things of that nature. So, but yet still, I, that's my personality and that's me. And I don't feel like I will bring my true authentic self, you know, um, if I tried to dumb it down or down it down in, in any way. Um, and so I, I do think there have been some instances where had I have been a little bit different, I, I may have gotten considered for, you know, things as some of my other counterparts did. Um, so those are, it's funny because to me, those moments sting and they hurt just as much as if someone were to, you know, outright call me a name, you know, directly to my face. Um, because it's kind of that um, two-faced almost in a sense, like you smile in your face, but yet, you know, like deep down and, and on the other side of the coin, you know, you are, are, aren't really accepting me truly 100% for who I am. And, and that to me is just as, as um, much of a slap as if someone would outright tell me, I don't like you because of, you know, who you are, or you can't treat my kid because of who you are or something like that. So um, yeah, those, those, that's kind of been my experience so far, you know, along my journey. Yes, the passive aggressiveness. <laughs> yes, I um, definitely can relate being a physical therapist in the field. No, it's always a situation. I'm pretty sure Christian can relate in her field. I think it's when you get to a certain level, people, I, I mean, I had an issue with a coworker where it was, you're speaking to my students in a way and in, in telling them what to do when they're under my instructions, not yours. So as you know, in certain things is like, you're trying to tell them that you know best. And it's like, no, they have been instructed by their instructor, me. <laughs> so, and, and so I had to put my foot down. And again, like you said, you used to, sometimes you wanna, some people think the solution is 
toning down who you are to fit into this box that they want you to fit in, but actually you standing up to be who you are, we standing up to be who we are in our fields and where we stand is so important because we deserve to be there. We're qualified to be there, you know, and no matter, no manner should we have to dumb down who we are or be less of who we are just for them to say, okay, you can come sit at our table. Absolutely not. So I agree. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we could talk about microaggression. We got a whole episode on microaggression. Right. Um, That's I think is. every field, especially when you're underrepresented um, as minorities, you come in knowing that there are going to be some challenges, but it's not until you actually experience it in various forms where you're like, oh, they low-key got a problem. <laughs> like, like, you know, and I experienced something similar too in my field. I mean, the legal field, there are, um, African-Americans are far and few. Um, and then if you add the, the, the gender, you know, being a woman, oh, that there's very few African-American females in the legal field. And so I've experienced something similar and I'll never forget the day that um, an attorney called me and, and it was a man, um, you know, Caucasian older male. And he called and he wanted to settle a case. And long story short, I basically said I wasn't gonna settle, you know, put my foot down, I'm not settling, I'm not accepting what you wanna offer. And he actually called above, went above my head and called my boss and said that this paralegal won't settle with me. Like that was his exact words. Like he was trying to diminish, you know, my role because I wasn't a licensed attorney. Now, what he did not know was that my boss doesn't handle the cases. I handle every case for the county. <laughs> so he could not override me. Like there's no way to get around me. Like that is my specialty. I'm the only one in the county who, who um, negotiates those kind of cases. And so it was a learning lesson for him that first just because, you know, I'm this African-American young lady and I don't possess a law degree per se, that it doesn't mean I'm any less knowledgeable. And I had to further educate him when I returned his phone call because my boss basically just sent me the voicemail and said, call him back and reiterate what she said the first time, um, that everyone that is practicing law has, does not have a law degree. There are various avenues to be able to practice law in the state of California. So I had to refer him back to the state bar website to reiterate that. Um, and so I think in those moments, really just, you know, standing up for yourself, you know, advocating for yourself, you know, your, your knowledge, you know, that you're competent and you're capable and you don't have to compromise who you are. Like you can often just be you, be you, you know, but there are teachable moments that sometimes as minorities, we have to kind of, you know, step outside for a second and, and kind of let people know that we deserve to be here, you know, and we're going to be respected. So that's my two cents for free, you guys. All right. So Rashida, another question. <laughs> we have entered this 
entered the stage of being able to mentor the next generation of therapists. And it's been quite a journey and fun. But anywho, and to be quite honest, minorities still make up a small percentage of the field. What unique thoughts and challenges enter your mind when you're mentoring someone that looks like you? It's funny because in the 11 years that I've been at Children's Hospital, the last two years is my first opportunity to mentor someone that looks like me. It's taken that long for us to get someone <laughs> that I that can relate and that does look like me. Um, we have um, a, a new a new therapist that was hired, and I don't know if it was directly or indirectly. My thoughts are directly, but. I um, now looking back, I, it, I'm glad that it happened, but um, we were placed together as, you know, me mentoring her and I, you know, you go through, we have, you know, sets of competencies and things that we have to go through so that we're able to see children in all areas of the hospital, whether it be um, what we call our quote unquote simple cases to our more extensive cases where, you know, kids are um, very sick and, and things of that nature. And um, I go through that the same way that I go through with any of the other, you know, therapists or students or whatever that I've, I've mentored, you know, along the way. Um, but there is another part of that. Um, and so I, my, I struggle with, do I tell her you know, about some of the potential challenges that she may have as an African-American therapist or, or, you know, employee of this hospital. Um, will that jade her? Will that, you know, give her a negative experience? Do I let her figure that out for herself? You know, and for me, navigating that has been a little challenging because it's something that I've never had to do before. Um, and I, you know, ultimately, you guys have heard me say, you know, I like to, whatever I do, do it well, um, and do it, you know, be be best. Um, and so I don't want to do her a disservice by, you know, not mentioning it. But at the same time, I don't want to also, um, you know, put a put a bad taste in her mouth or, um, you know, tell her about something that may not even happen to her, you know, it just so happened to have, have, have happened to me. And so that's kind of one of the areas that, you know, I struggle in um, throughout this process. And hopefully as we start to get more, you know, people that look like me, I won't have this problem and I can kind of figure it out and figure out what's the best thing to do. Um, but yeah, I, I am in a, in a, for me, a unique position right now of, of trying to navigate that. Um, thank goodness right now she's on leave. So I have time to figure it out. But <laughs> when she comes back, it, it definitely is something that, that definitely stays, you know, on, on my mind that I try to be conscious of. I think you can, for me, my experience, I have had a little a more experience with more African-American students. Um, and, and I would say, warn her, because I feel like, you know, as mentors or instructors, we are the cheat code, right? And we are to help them navigate these settings, the likelihood of her not experiencing any type of microaggression is just not likely, right? Um, so it's it's a more or less like not to jade her, not to to 
to, to make her fearful or, you know, scared of what's to come, but it's like, Hey, this is what you might experience. And this is what's worked for me. Let our, you know, or this is how I look at it and just add it to your toolbox, you know, and have it there. Um, and if you encounter it, just know, you know, these are tools that I use and, and, and don't let it alarm you. Like, don't let it take you off of your game. I think my, my instructions to my students are always don't allow anything, you know, whether it comes from sexism or, uh, or racially charged don't let any of it take you off your game because you are there for a reason and you made it to this point for a reason, right? And so stand in that, right? Be affirmed in that and step forward, um, like just confident in those situations, but then also knowing that you have to strategically maneuver those things so it doesn't come to be a backlash on you. Right. So you can't go in there ready to pop off. <laughs> right. Because, again, that could come back and bite you in the behind. So it's more or less, OK, let me let me tell you, let me warn you so that you're already aware that it doesn't take you off of your game when you're in those situations. And so I, I really love mentoring all students, but really the ones that look like me only because I want them to win so bad and I want them to succeed. And so I feel like, again, I'm the cheat code. Let me help you so you don't have to go through and figure it out like I had to because there was very little mentorship for me. But let me help you so you don't have to endure it and you and you can you know have the cheat code in a sense to get past it you know it's coming it doesn't phase you you go through it and you live on to be great the next day right and so that's my two cents on that yeah because um i when i first started working at the hospital i remember there were a couple doctors um, and I guess they were probably in their residency or fellowship because um, they weren't attendings. Um, and, you know, initially you kind of just hear about a doctor or, or, or maybe you read the chart and you see that doctor's name. But when you have the opportunity to put a face to it and you're like, oh, this is a brother, this is a sister and they look like me. And, you know, I, that made me excited. Um, but I didn't they didn't feel that excited about me, about meeting me or seeing me. Um, and, and so to hear you say, to say that is, is great because I think for so long, what we have seen is instances where, you know, that person has gotten used to being the only, um, and so they feel threatened or challenged if another person comes along behind them and they're not as warm and welcoming to having that person on their team, even though, you know, we have no direct competition in whatsoever, but I got looks. I remember, you know, from, from certain people, like, who do you think you are? Like, you know, I'm the only one that's supposed to be here kind of thing or whatever. And so, you know, it's, it's always been important for me to make sure that I am warm and welcoming and that, you know, I let everyone know and anyone know that comes in, hey, the door is open, at least on my end, you know, um, and come on in and, and pull up a seat and I will show you the way and make you some, you know, tea along the way and, and kind of help you explain it because, yeah. um, you know, that didn't always happen for me. 
Right. And and you think and you still have to know that the crab in a barrel is still like crab in a barrel syndrome is still real. Yes. Um, and so like what you were saying, being the only one, some people thrive in that. But there's no competition because at the end of the day, we're all striving for excellence in our in ourselves. But then why wouldn't you want to progress or see somebody else that looks like you win? Like it's it's not that we don't want others to win. We just want the same opportunity to win as well. Right. So it's it's some people have adopted the idea of, okay, we don't want black people to win. So we don't want other black people to win. Like I I it's only enough for me to get because they barely let me in. So I don't want the competition. And it's like, no, I'm a I'm getting in and I'm about to pull along 10 of y'all. You know what I'm saying? Because I literally want this to be an opportunity for all of us to be able to win. Right. Yeah. I feel another episode brewing. Um, <laughs> just on that, that, that entire scenario. But one last question that I have for our very special guest is we obviously live in the information age, right? Um, everything is at your fingertips. Am I old, good, faithful source of YouTube? Um, are physical therapy videos a reliable source? That is a great question. <laughs> I I like physical therapy videos. Um, you know, now we're in the age of TikTok and um, making everything you know sort of short clips to reach different people. Um, I think that that's a great way to reach an audience that has not been reached before. Um, but with that, you have to be careful. Um, you can put out a TikTok video of you know, exercises to do for back pain. Um, and that TikTok video can get sent, you know, via their grandkid to an 80 year old grandmother that has back pain. Um, and then that TikTok video can also get sent to, you know, a 25 year old gymnast that has back pain. And they are two completely different people who probably have back pain for two completely different reasons and probably have medical histories that have two completely different medical histories. And so to say that that video of back pain is gonna be applicable to both of those people is a little bit, um, uh, it's uh, a little bit, um, sorry, I just, I, don't, I lost the word. <laughs> Not reckless, but it's a, you have to be careful with that. Um, because that's just throwing a blanket um, <clears throat> set of exercises over, over you know those two people without looking at their history, and you know a lot of doctors warn you know um, <clears throat> patients about going on WebMD and just kind of typing in your symptoms and then seeing what pops up, and that's for that reason. There's a very blanket sort of diagnosis that happens when you do that, and it doesn't look specifically at what is going on with your body. So yes, I think if those videos are in the right hands of the right people who are responsible enough to know that you can't throw the same exercises that, you know, um, two different people just because they have the same symptoms. Um, there are a number of great guys that are out there that take that into consideration and they find a way how to still make relatable YouTube or TikTok videos or Instagram videos or whatever that, you know, can encounter that. So I would just say, you know, be a little bit um, sort of, of cautious of if you see something that's sort of a blanket sort of statement for everyone. 
But I do think that it's a great way to reach maybe our younger kids that are in high school or in college, just to help them to be aware more of what physical therapy is, make it seem mm-hmm. cool, make it seem, you know, relatable or something that they say, hmm, I saw this video. I want to learn a little bit more about that. How do I become a therapist or something like that? I think that's a great way to reach our younger generation. And so we just have to be responsible about how we do it. I like that. I really do. Um, yeah. My PT basically echoed what you said because I told her I had been on YouTube and I had been Googling and um, <laughs> I had been doing all kinds of stuff, honey. She's like, okay, I'm going to need you to sit down and stop diagnosing yourself, number one. Um, number two, before you try anything new, you are under you know, the care of a physician, so you may want to run it by me first. So it's, it's just, you know, kind of interesting to hear your take and it basically mirrored what she said. It's like, yes, it can be a, you know, a good uh, source if it's applicable to, you know, the right people. So I appreciate you kind of confirming that I need to sit down somewhere and, and, and stop. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much uh, for being on our podcast today. This episode has been very beneficial to me. Um, there are a lot of things I really didn't consider until I'm sitting here kind of listening to you share your personal experience of navigating the field. I know that our audience um, definitely has a lot of information to take away. And really for me, it's kind of helped me to really think about, you know, our youth um, moving forward. What can I do? Even though I'm not in this particular field, I think some of the things that you shared, just as far as, you know, making sure that you are armed with the knowledge, um, operating in excellence, definitely for people that have children or those that are influential for younger, you know, younger kids, making sure that you're exposing them to various fields early. I think those things can be applied regardless of your field that you're interested in. Um, So I just want to say thank you for sharing with us today, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know that the information you shared is useful to anyone that, you know, that is seeking to just further in their career. So for our listening audience, we will continue this health series. It has indeed been a blessing to me and I'm sure Brandy feels the same way. And it's, it's so much information that we could share and we hope that what we're bringing to you, you are finding useful. So please continue to like, share on this podcast. We have so much more information uh, coming your way. Thank you for listening to It's the Discussion from me. Hopefully you are leaving here seen and enlightened. If so, please share, like, and invite others to this safe place. Until next time.